This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mama told me, son, go and play in the yard. Papa said, go and play. You gotta break your stomach. Go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. Welcome to Inside the Yard. And as we start this recording... The Orioles have lost 14 consecutive games, but Jeff Arnold, I'm going to be optimistic. And I think in the time since we recorded this to the time it became available on podcast for download, the Orioles have won a game. So congratulations. You made it through. Brett, you are the eternal optimist and I'm going to be with you there. I'm going to join you in this it's over. because we are willing. It's over as we're taping this. We are toying with the baseball gods. We are willing the Come baseball gods. We are, we are grabbing the baseball gods by the collar and say, it's over. Just end it already. And I, I'm with you. As we tape this, we're officially saying that it's going to be over. And when it's going to be over, it's going to be great. It is definitely going to be great. And it has reached the supernatural level. And we've watched this game for a long time. Nothing surprises you anymore that's out of the ordinary And that's kind of the nature of this streak. I think what's been, I don't know if it's better or worse in some ways, but they've been in almost every ball game. And when I say in almost every ball game, like there's a game to be won. Like you could flip a coin in some of these ball games. I know people are going to say, well, that's a sign of a bad team. And and perhaps that's true, but the bounce of a ball, the oddity of how the, the one inning starts or the play here, it's just been very strange. It has been, you know, you've seen a lot of also like one bad innings where one thing goes completely wrong. Like you go back to the Minnesota game where you have a three, two lead DJ Stewart hits the home run after you get the rain delay. And from there you have two relievers that if you looked at their previous track records and, you know, you go back to last year, were pretty good for you. You didn't have Paul Fry, but you went with Tanner Scott and Cesar Valdez and, you know, things didn't go very well for those two guys. And then you have, one inning in Chicago, you know, we saw that happen on Sunday. We saw that happen on Thursday. Um, so the, the one inning issue has at times cropped up. Um, but, you know, one inning really makes a difference. I think when the offense has been scuffling and at the very beginning of this slide, it was on the pitching. Now it's been more on the offense with runners and scoring position. But I agree with you. It's strange. And, you know, we, we kind of kind of have to remember that, you know, I think in, in some ways that the fact that it has been so close and you have been so close in a lot of these games has been part of the reason maybe why the frustration has mounted a little bit more because you do realize you're right there. You can't get just across the finish line. Now. You are right. I mean, in DC, the offense had some of their best games of the year. Pitching was not good. And then the back half of that West coast trip and through the start of the homestand, it totally flipped. So it's not just one thing. I think that's the frustrating part about it, but uh, coming up on this edition of inside the yard, we will talk to Rocky Bacco for our insider segment. But first, coming up, we will talk to Tim Cousins, Orioles coach and their catching instructor. Obviously, that's been a hot-button issue among Orioles fans recently, and the Orioles made a move, and they brought up Austin Wins 
to help solidify that spot in the roster. So let's get to it. Tim Cousins, Ned Roth, here on Inside the Yard. Here with us now at Inside the Yard is Orioles catching instructor and coach Tim Cousins, who's been with the club for a few seasons now. Tim, it's great to see you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with the obvious. There's been a change at catcher. Uh, the Orioles have optioned down Chancisco to AAA Norfolk, and they have recalled and put on the roster Austin Wins, who's kind of a veteran minor leaguer, but has had a number of runs with the big club in 2018 and 19. What does Austin bring to the table? I think Austin brings energy, um, consistency, and not saying – I don't mean that in a weird way. I just think his approach to the game uh, brings a new a, a new level of energy. And, and uh, uh, the best way to describe Austin Wins is, is energy. You know, he brings, he brings consistency. He knows, the, he knows the league. He studies. He's been here. It's, he's not overwhelmed by it. I think he brings a, a change of scenery. In terms of when you talk about catcher energy, how, how can somebody who's like watching the game realize that this catcher has really good energy behind the plate? Well, I think the catching position on a whole is a reflective thing. And, and when, when our players in the field watch the game from, uh, from that perspective, they're all looking at the catcher. It's little things, it's subtleties. It's, it's allowing um, a pitcher to do his thing and, and the catcher to take over and, and ride what's working and what's not working and kind of steer the ship. Those are the intangibles that most people can't see. Uh, but what people can't see is the, the reflective part of the position, which is body language and energy. And, and um, it goes a long way. There's, there's a, there's an art to that for sure. Tim, how much of pitch calling right now is predetermined based on the batter and situation and count and how much in the moment, how much, flexibility does that catcher have to encourage or suggest a pitch in a moment? And how important is that still in the game? The art of pitch calling is massively uh, important. And it's one of those things that's an intangible that most people, you know, don't understand because you can throw the right pitch in the wrong spot and have it be successful and vice versa. And those things, you know, all bleed into somebody calling a good game. And, and uh, I think calling a good game is a, is a very big sample size. And um, over the long haul, you'll see guys that have an ability to take a pitcher through an inning and, and in and out of trouble and ride pitches that are working and pitches that need to be shelled momentarily and brought back later. There's, there's such an art to that. Um, we, over the last couple of seasons, we've, we've put in different systems, just like the, the entire world of baseball with, the, with the, the, the wristbands. And those things help out a ton. It, it allows a catcher to go back there and have options and options that are based by data. And that stuff's really important. In terms of pitch framing, that's another area of importance across the game. that's huge. And being able, I think you talked about the aesthetics of how you present a pitch to the umpire. How do you go about improving your, your pitch framing skills to be better at getting a couple more pitches, a game pitches, a game for, for your guy on the mound? Real, real hot topic is uh, pitch framing. It's been, it's been increasingly on the radar of the, the baseball world uh, for the last, you know, five, seven years. And it's, it's one of those subtleties that, that dictates a winner or a loss and, and gives us a, a competitive advantage. And 
And it's one of those things that guys are always working on. They've always worked on it prior, even prior to the receiving boards and all that stuff. Um, and with the elevation in, in, um, you know, pitch data and, and finding tunnels and, and finding ways to improve the pitching world, you know, finding a way to present that is equally important. So, um, you know, in, in our ways of improving it, it's just the, the same way we've always improved. We get in those, those cages daily and do work. We try and replicate spins. We re we try and make it as difficult as possible uh, so that the receivers get as comfortable, you know, as they can receiving these things and making these pitches look good to the umpire. <clears throat> How much of your daily routine is blocking a ball and the fundamentals of catching the pitch framing, throwing to second and, and, and being alert about base runners, handling pitchers. And also like, do you guys go in and are you a part of an overall game plan with the pitching coach and how you're going to attack a lineup and even who the umpire is on a given day? Yeah. All those things are covered. Um, the physical part is done pregame in the cages. Um, we go in and do our, our defensive routine. All of it, all of it has blocking included uh, transfer work throwing so that when the catcher leaves the cage, he's ready to go play catch and go play the game. Um, all of the pregame meetings and so forth, that's all done well prior to uh, BP and very thorough. And those catchers uh, are also studying on their own. I, I feel like we have a really good foundation in place for our guys to study and, and get advantages. Uh, the physical stuff, you got to pick your spots because it is a long season and we do have protocols. We can't get in um, as early as we could prior and spending time on the field and, and, and throwing and stuff you got to really pick your spots because it is a long season. So uh, you got to weight all those things equally and, and just create a routine and, and a, an environment for each catcher to get what they need to improve and continue what they're doing well. Um, and there's just an art to it. You got to find, you got to find a way to get guys work. That's not taxing them. And you got to tr try and ramp up things that need to be improved. A lot of catchers in this day and age, Tim, are catching on a knee. I know that that can present some problems from a blocking and maybe a throwing perspective, but getting that pitch at the bottom of the strike zone is so important. Um, are you in favor of catching on a knee or, or against? I'm in favor of whatever makes the human being standing behind us raise his right hand. I, I think that catching is, we were talking about music earlier, I think catching is like music. You have to appeal to the guy behind you you got to play the music he likes and you got to make him dance and, and whatever you need to do to make that guy dance, you, you've got to do. And in the, in the game today, and I, and I, I'm stretching back a few years now when, when there was no, uh, there was no box grading you and your, your night was, you know, based on whether you won or lost the game. And um, I just think it's really important to have those things at your disposal. Um, typically I, I, I come from a player development background. And so for me, I, it's very difficult to make every guy catch the same way. I think you've got to, you've got to assess what a player can and can't do. And you've got to build his game around what he's capable of doing. And I think you got to have it in your back pocket. So I, I'm not ducking that question. There's a lot that goes into that. It's just at, at certain times there are, are, there are pitches that are, uh, are maybe easily easier presented on one knee, but I don't think it's a default one size fits all kind of thing. And I think with our guys, you know, our guys operate out of a traditional setup and the one knee down at different times during the game, we kind of boil it down. We've done some, some research that, uh, 
hopefully puts these guys in positions where they get it um, as time goes on. Tim, I do want to talk music with you. We do want to have some fun. But first, uh, on, on my end, I, I want to ask you about Adley Rutschman. You got to see him a few times in the spring and, and I'm sure at the alternate site at times last year. Purely from a catching perspective, the fundamentals of it, his sense of the game, where is he? He's he's in a he's in a really good spot. Adley comes in, and I, I've been around a lot of high round picks, and and I've had guys in the past that have have been high ceiling guys, and he's as far advanced as as any of the guys I've had. He's got a really high baseball IQ. He's got great work ethic. Um, he's got a really nice uh, jump off point, so to speak. You know, usually when you get a guy uh, out of the draft, there's some first there's an evaluation period, and then there's a period of adjustment that you make with certain guys to get them going in the direction that, that they, you know, that they need to go in with Adley. It's more about refining certain things and sort of staying out of the way. I don't think uh, we've made a, a ton of wholesale adjustments to his game. I think we've added very simple things and, and trying to get him uh, as natural as possible, you know, daily basis kind of thing. So, with him, it's kind of weird, obviously, with this thing, with the pandemic and so forth. They, the sample size is strange, so we're, we're trying not to make too many adjustments that will skew any kind of natural things that he does. We're just trying to get him, you know, salt, so to speak. We're trying to get the salt, we're trying to get him to play every day, get tired, go through the things he needs to go to, and just um, provide an environment that he gets the work he needs to get. I think we're doing that. You've noticed, even going back to when he was in college and maybe before that, that when an inning comes to an end, he goes out and says something to his pitcher and goes off the mound with him. Do you notice that the pitchers are more comfortable with him and that, you know, they feel like he's in it with them? Yeah, it's funny you say that because we, were, we actually had a conversation about that. And this is where you, you, the, the, the collision between college baseball and professional baseball, which I do, I, I love the fact that he does that. And we talked about leaving it in there. I, I think that's his, his, one of his trademarks. I think that that shows um, where he's at with his pitchers and how he handles pitchers and all those things. And, and I, I think that's something that should be left in everything that's natural in a player. If it's not distracting or, or takes away from his performance, I think you leave in because it, it, I think what we were joking about is you'll have a whole wave of catchers in little league, <laughs> you know, when he, when he gets here, you know, you have all these catchers running out to the mound and catching up with the pitcher. And I think, you know, I, I think that's great. I think that's great for the pitchers. I think it's great for Adley. I think it's great for baseball. So, um, you know, you leave those kind of things in and, and you just let the player play and you, you evaluate and you don't want to take things out that, you know, that you don't want to take out right away. All right, Tim, it's time for our fun five baseball questions. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right. Favorite baseball movie. The natural high school senior year batting average. Oh man. I couldn't <laughs> tell you my batting average. I could tell you I threw out 18 runners. I love that. Speaking like a true catcher. Who do you think has a better <laughs> throwing arm behind the plate? You or Brandon Hyde? A better throwing arm? Yeah. Right now? No, in, in prime to prime. Oh, I don't know. I, I never <laughs> saw I, actually, you know what? I never saw him play in high school. To be honest, so I only saw him throw. He, he, I saw him throwing in in junior college, and I saw him throw as we worked out years later. He he was developing his throwing stroke. He could throw. He could throw. He, he'll tell you he couldn't throw, but he could throw. 
most influential baseball person in your life? I think probably my dad. He, it was softball. He played a high level of softball. I never saw him play hardball. He played in the minor leagues. And, and I grew up around um, a very high level. He played for the Guanello Brothers in Northern California. He was a catcher there and he played third base as a baseball player. I never saw that. So I would say my dad, following him around every weekend. Favorite minor league city to play, coach, or visit? Um, favorite minor league city. Oh, man, I can't even. Probably Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a great one. And I know the answer to this, but I do want to talk about it. Name one talent you have outside of baseball, talent or hobby. Talent or hobby is probably probably music. That's my hobby. So, so get into your, your love affair of music and the guitar. Uh, it's not actually my love affair is is uh, drums. I, I, I'm a ha- I'm a hobby hacker at both. I I I got readdicted to the drums probably my first year managing in the minor leagues. I I bought a electronic drum kit. I lived in a hotel. I was managing day baseball games in the Gulf Coast League, and I would come home and put these headphones on and and uh, I, I played as a young kid when I was little and. I kind of followed my brother around who's actually a musician, a bass player and played in a you know, bunch of bands when I was a kid growing up. And um, my dad was a guitar player. And so I started when I was a kid, washed away, you know, as I played baseball. And then I bought a drum kit when I was managing and just got, you know, fascinated with it. It was, it's, it's great to have something that's not natural that you, that you stink at as you're teaching other people things that you think you're good at. <laughs> so that was what it was and it then it's blossomed into this childish you know thing my wife thinks it's silly <laughs> but it's a great hobby i have a great room in california that i can go close the doors in the off season and just you know dive into something different which i think is cool tim let me ask you this real quick have you and Freddie gonzalez who apparently plays the trumpet and chris holt who sings have you guys ever thought about getting a band together or like gigging someplace, maybe in an off season no, somewhere. You know, what's funny. We need to do that. We were, t- we were kind of joking about that. We need, to, we need to do that. We need to, I, I know a lot of uh, stadiums have, you know, band rooms and stuff. When, I, when we were with the Cubs, they had, they had guitar, you know, they had guitars and drums and, and stuff like that. I think um, that's, that's such a positive thing, getting people out of their comfort zone and into, uh, you know, another arena, so to speak. And especially with all the stresses that can exist, you know, around what we do, I think it would be a cool thing to have. And, and I know, the, and I've heard, I've heard uh, Homie play guitar and, and Holty can sing and Brian Ebel can play drums. Um, and I didn't know Freddie played the trumpet. I would love to hear him. As a matter of fact, I'm going to talk to him when I get to the park. And, uh, and that, that, that would be a nice getaway for sure. We just got to find an instrument for Brandon Hyde. I'd be weird if the skipper was left out of this. Yeah, we're we're joking now. He's he's security. He's band manager. <laughs> he certainly looks the part. Yeah. yeah. Tim Cousins, uh, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, and and we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Hopefully, we meet in person soon.
Get all the best Orioles ticket deals in one place, including single-game tickets, ticket packs, special offers, and more. We got you covered at the Orioles Ticket Marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals, so check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets to purchase. All right, now it's time for an insider segment. Our friend, colleague, Rakubako is with us, along with his granddaughter, who <laughs> I know has been very distraught about Orioles baseball these days, Rock, and she seems to be handling it a little better this morning. She is. She still doesn't understand a rebuild. I've explained it to her over and over, and I don't want to hear any excuses that she's only eight months old, because I have fans that are 50 and 60 that don't understand it either, so <laughs> why should I expect her to get it? It was not going to last two or three years. I keep telling her that, and then she cries about it anyway, over and over. It's like on a loop. Well, I guess as we record this, we don't know if this streak has continued or not, but let's be optimistic for a moment and say, man, I'm so glad it's over. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I didn't think they were going to reach 21, but thank goodness that was really getting uncomfortable. I mean, they, they found different ways and that happens in a long streak, different ways to lose. It's not the same way every night. Sometimes they get great starting pitching and then it's wasted. Like we saw uh, Memorial day. And then sometimes it's the bullpen late and sometimes they just don't hit. They're not hitting with runs in scoring position. And sometimes they score nine runs and give up 12. I mean, it's been a lot of different things. Uh, some fundamental breakdowns that probably, in fact, I shouldn't say probably, definitely upset Brandon Hyde more than anything else. I mean, whether it's throwing to the wrong base, whether it's not tagging on a fly ball that should have been a sack fly or a lot of other things that, that uh, you know, they've been doing wrong and, uh, you know, wild pitches, pass balls, whatever. But, you know, not being able to turn a double play, things like that mental and physical mistakes that I'm sure are getting to him a lot more than just, Hey, tip your hat to the starting pitcher. Well, rock. Another thing I'm sure that has frustrated Brandon Hyde. I think probably a lot of folks have been frustrated by it was some of the catching problems with Pedro Severino and Chancisco. Austin wins was added back to the roster on Memorial day. Um, I think we all kind of had a sense that something like this might be coming. Um, were you maybe surprised that, that it took as long to, to happen as it did? I figured this would be about the time at this point. Plus it helped that wins was swinging the bat so well and playing so well, just overall down there. If he had been hit 100, you know, it's a little bit harder to bring him up. And, and I, we, we know what Austin wins is. He's not a 300 hitter, but at this point, you know, he was swinging the bat really well. And I think he was going to give them more competitive at bats. They probably figured and really doing it. was more about behind the plate. You know, Hyde said, we'll take whatever he gives us offensively. It's more about working with, staff he really likes the way he's engaged with the pitchers the energy he brings the skills behind the plate and you know it was it was a big concern that they were not uh getting that any kind of production at all at the plate or behind the plate from these catchers and they felt like it was really hurting a young staff so cisco's that guy and that's someone they felt like all right let's give him another reset in triple a in the meantime hopefully wins can kind of, you know, steady the pitching staff. Some and maybe have some more competitive at-bats. There's really nobody else at this point and until Adley Rutschman's ready. And I don't know if we're going to see him in 2021. It's probably 2022. Never say never, but it was too soon for him. So Wins was the obvious guy. Cumberland is yeah, definitely does not ready. Like- fans are, yeah, sorry, fans are yelling about Brett Cumberland. He is not ready to, to come up to the majors. He's still a work in progress defensively for sure so he was not an option and, and as well as you know they want to work with him offensively but he's definitely not ready defensively to catch in the majors yeah it is interesting I agree with you about Adley I don't expect to see him in 21 but uh in the first part of the season 
you really couldn't make a case for it. He's hitting, you know, 250-ish, and but now he's turned it on. And I do expect him to get to Norfolk at some point here. And if he starts hitting there, we'll see. But they are starting to move prospects along fairly quickly, trying to, I guess, make up for lost time after losing a minor league season a year ago. And, you know, and not, it wasn't that long ago. If you got a prospect in double-A who was performing, I mean, a real prospect, and they have a bunch there now, then they become an option at some point on the big league team. We saw a lot of jumps not long ago from Bowie to Baltimore. We did. We always used to say you're just a phone call away once you're at Bowie and, and that uh, proximity, but I don't think they really want to do that now with many guys and certainly not with Rutschman. And, and yeah, at some point he's going to be a triple A. And I know it's like you want him tearing up that league, uh, the former Eastern league, but every time he does that now, every time he has another big game, fans are wondering why he's not in the majors. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. We have to explain why he isn't. Uh, you know, coming from a major college program, his age wouldn't be outrageous for him to be in the majors right now. But this is a development process and also losing that minor league season, even though they were really happy with the work they were able to get for him over the summer. It's not the same as playing in real games. So, uh, again, it's going to be it's going to require some patience, but he may be ready a little sooner than than some people even thought in the organization. Uh, But in the meantime, you just have to enjoy the fact that he's playing the way you would hope that he would play. If he was hitting, you know, 200 right now at Bowie, there'd be all kinds of concern. People would be saying he was a bust. Now he's playing really well, and they're like, why isn't he with the Orioles? I think there's kind of an in-between. He's playing really well, as he should be. Let's kind of move him up another level after this, and then we'll see. Down in the minors right now as we tape this is Hunter Harvey, who's on his rehab assignment. As he gets ready to come back on the roster, I mean, maybe what should we expect? And also, you got to create a roster spot for him. So where does that come from? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I would said before, any veteran – who's struggling right now in the bullpen should feel a little uneasy because there's got to be room made. And if it's somebody who doesn't have options, you know, like let's say like a Sean Armstrong, for example, would be one guy that you would look at, say he's really struggled. He doesn't have options. Pletko struggling. He doesn't have options. Guys like that uh, could be potentially in danger right now. Uh, But with, as far as Harvey goes, it's just trying to keep this guy healthy first and foremost. You don't just throw him into a closer role. And again, when your team's lost as many games in a row as the club had, you're not really worrying about, you know, well, who's going to be the ninth inning specialist. You're just trying to have a lead going into the ninth at this point. So I think Harvey's going to be one of those guys that, you know, you could see him get an inning in the sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever, probably give him a day off after that. I don't know if they're ready right now to say he's going to be pitching back-to-back days or kind of ease him back into a workload and just get a feel for what he can handle. They would love to have him again, that upper nineties fastball working in high leverage situations, which could be any of those innings. And maybe it could be the ninth, but at this point, you just got to keep them healthy. I mean, this, this was an, an arm issue last time. It was an oblique and usually an oblique is like, Oh no, that those don't heal, heal quickly. And if there was a sigh of relief when it was only an oblique because it wasn't the elbow, wasn't anything more serious, but it's just, it just seems like there's always something right now. So first and foremost, are going to try and figure out a schedule for him where they can get production out of him and also keep him healthy. And they're, and, and, and Brindley agrees that you just cannot automatically toss him into a closer role and think, talk about working him on multiple days. Rock, we've reached June and we're a month away from the traditional heating up of the trade rumor mill. For the Orioles right now, other than the two obvious ones, which would be Means and Mancini, I don't see a lot of options that are, you know, maybe desirable right now for other clubs. 
uh, to move. I mean, what's your sense of what the trade market would be like and how willing the Orioles would be? Obviously, the two biggest things Orioles fans are thinking right now about on the big league level, the future of Means and Mancini. But uh, what's your sense of those two guys and any other movable pieces? Yeah, I mean, I always say no one is untouchable on this team. I mean, theoretically, everybody's on the table if Michael Ice is blown away with an offer, but he's not certainly not looking to move means and a Mancini at this point, you know, maybe a Paul Fry. And again, you know, you, he is the only reliever that's been throwing really well for them. So if you trade him, then what happens? But right. his value may never be higher than it is right now. So you have to consider that if some team is looking for, especially being a lefty late inning guy and all of a sudden looking like someone who could close for you, I think there's going to be interest. But at the same time, the Orioles could look at him and say, hey, he's not certainly not breaking the bank here. And he's at peace maybe moving forward for them. But, you know, you would certainly field offers for Paul Fry. Otherwise, you know, I'm sure teams love a, a Mount Castle or a Hayes or whatever or Mullins, but you're not going to part with those guys. Those guys are part of this future. Uh, but otherwise, Fry is that guy, I think, that kind of emerged as, a, wow, we never really thought about him as that, that guy. And now he's become somebody that's going to interest other teams. Rock, I'll close out with this. I guess you could say the same sort of thing for Cesar Valdez last year. And Valdez has hit a rough patch as we tape this. Can he get it back? Do you think he can make the adjustments to resemble the Cesar Valdez that we have seen before? I think so. And certainly it was encouraging on Monday when you retired the side in order with a strikeout. I know Darren Holmes had said that the league was figuring him out and now it was up to him to adjust. And I guess I mean, he would certainly know better than me. My first reaction was, well, what was there to figure out? Every team knows, hey, he's going to throw the change up. But it, that doesn't mean you could hit it. And I think it was more about just location before, where all of a sudden, you know, for the ball that was, you know, looking unhittable, the dead fish, all of a sudden was just hanging up in the strike zone on a tee, and he was getting hit. So I thought it was more just about making poor pitches, not so much that they are, oh, they're sitting on the change up. They've been sitting on the change up. But obviously there was some adjustment made. That's what Darren Holmes is seeing. That's what other people are seeing. And what do I know? So I guess it just comes down to making better pitches with getting the, the movement that he was getting before. Uh, and I think he can get that back. And I think it's smart to move him back in a lesser pressure situation. You know, this team's played a lot of close games. There's pressure in the seventh inning of a tie game or a one-run game or eighth inning. But maybe not necessarily have closing, uh, get him back on track. But uh, again, everybody knows what's coming. It's just it, all of a sudden it went from a ball that was just doing weird things when it left his hand to just floating up in the strike zone. And he was start, and he was getting hit pretty hard all of a sudden. Rock Kubako of MassInSports.com. Rock, we appreciate it so much. And uh, thank you and thank uh, Brindley for your time today. Hey, by pleasure. She just burps. That's what she thought of that segment. Don't take it personally, guys. <laughs> Birdland experience an O's game with the convenience and privacy of your own suite. A variety of affordable single-game suites throughout the ballpark are available. Enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate-controlled interior seating, a private restroom, and comfortable outside seating. Visit orioles.com suites for more information. All right, Jeff, let's end on this. Something totally off of the baseball subject matter. Great stuff from Rock. Great stuff from Tim Cousins. Really interesting conversations. But I have to give you a huge round of applause. You have been living... For four or five days without a phone. Caveman. Caveman. And I don't think I could do 12 hours. And I'm not, that's not, it's a huge insult to myself. It's an embarrassment to myself. 
and it's not a good thing. It's not healthy, but you have just kind of grinded out and started over a Memorial Day weekend. Your options are limited. You specifically have to go to one store. There weren't any appointments to get, and we're trying to rectify this whole thing today before the game, but congratulations. You've, you've done it so far. I don't know if you can last another day, but I'm pretty proud of you. Well, I appreciate that, Brent, and I'm kind of proud of myself and sort of embarrassing because, you know, people, some people listening to this will be like, you got to be kidding me. Like we grew up and we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any of this kind of technology or any stuff like living without phones. Like our our producer Dawn on, on mass. And she said, she's like, it's like, it's healthy to be without a phone for this period of time. And no question. Well, practically maybe not the best, but what happened was, so we get rained out on Friday. We're playing the white Sox, and I'm coming back from the park. And I think I might've hit a button by mistake. And I knew immediately I was in trouble. And so I take it into a tech the next day, figuring, well, maybe they can get this thing fixed before we have our doubleheader on Saturday. And they were like, you need to go get a new phone. And so I realized that it's not going to happen then because I found out that this is going to take a little bit of time because of some of the things that I got to do. And so no phone Saturday, Sunday, we play another day game. Not going to happen there. Monday is Memorial Day. So when you think about it, you lose the phone and you lose the phone at probably the most inopportune time. So I'm not going to lie. I've had some bad moments, but at the same token, you know, you, you admitted that 12 hours without a phone. I, I talked to Rock Kabako about this yesterday, actually, before we tape this. And he said, he's like, I would be losing my mind. Um, I have made it three days. They are three days where I felt like I'm in the wilderness at times, but I'm, I'm kind of getting to the other side of that. And I'm really happy that maybe I got a little bit of, you know, a, a mental break from the phone, but I'm at the point where I really need it back. I am sure if we could all do one or two days a month with that mentality, we'd all be much better for it on so many levels. So hopefully the next time I see you at the ballpark in a few hours, you have a working phone. We'll hope for that. And by the way, the good news is if we were in a winning streak right now, I'd probably force you to go without a phone for a few more days. <laughs> but now listen, l- listen, listen phone- I'm as I'm as superstitious as anybody, but maybe we could maybe we could try something else. Maybe uh, maybe it could yeah, be just anything. one of us will bring in donuts every day and you know, over a winning we've been streak on that. We've been forward. trying that. I haven't shaved. We've been bringing in donuts and food, but uh, hopefully today you get your new phone. And also, baby birds, uh, you can celebrate your growing family or the newest O's fan in your life with a Baby Birds membership presented by MedStar Health. Members receive an Orioles bib and a onesie, as well as access to special offers. If your little O's fan was born at Harbor Hospital or Franklin Square Medical Center, you can access your complimentary membership using the code received with your Orioles beanie. Visit orioles.com slash babybirds for more information. Until next time, for Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander, and thanks for joining us Inside the Yard. (laughs) 